Hallelujah. Do you have your Bibles? Can you turn with me? I'd like to bring your attention to Luke 24, 1 through 12. stand for the reading of the word. When we get done, I'll just give a little bit of instruction about the resurrection egg hunt after this. All the kids will meet in the lobby. Right now, they're dismissed to go to class. But when they're done, we'll all meet out in the lobby and get ready. There's about 500 eggs hidden, so if some of you adults sneak in the egg hunt, I'll look the other way. I'm just saying. chapter 24, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. They were going to anoint Jesus' body. It was custom of that time. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Amen. And they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? There's no reason to be looking here, for he's alive. That's what they were saying. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you? When he was in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Amen. Because he got up, the firstborn of the dead, the Bible says, we have that same opportunity through the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about a title that I just call All Rise. In Jesus, we all rise. Amen. Let's celebrate that together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for the proof. It's not just intellectual. It's not just historical. It's not just biblical. We know that we could even take the Bible away and prove it, that you rose from the dead, showed yourself to so many after you were risen again, and then you showed your scars to the disciples, and they said, truly, this is both Lord and God. And we're so thankful that we know the risen Savior still lives in our heart because you said you would not leave us comfortless, but you would come to us through the power of the Holy Ghost. And when that Spirit poured out in the upper room, I'm thankful that I know that that experience still happens today, and we have resurrection power in our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. You may be seated. I uh, never planned to be a pastor. Surprising, huh? I was just a kid growing up in Alaska, just loved the trees and the woods and the fun and the mountain biking and the fishing. And But as life happens, my stepdad went to jail, and we had to go through several situations that were very difficult. We went from... California, moving back to Alaska. And when we were in California, it was great. We had a pool in the backyard. My, my mom called my sister and I a fish because we loved to swim. And so we went from a pool in the backyard to an RV parked on my grandparents' property. 
It was a drastic change because the, the financial breadwinner had done something horrible and was going to jail. And I remember having to go to court, and I remember the judge walking in. And you know what they say when the judge walks in, the honorable so-and-so. They say their name, or they say all rise for the honorable so-and-so. And it was just because he was a just judge, maybe not even because he was just judge, but just because he had a position of power and authority, they said, rise before the person entered the room. I always thought that was interesting, uh, why that person had so much power that we needed to stand for that person. But when the judge entered the room, nonetheless, it became custom in that particular um, environment to stand for the honorable judge. And they would announce that, we would do what they announced, and then the judge would say, you may be seated. And I thought it was interesting to me because whenever I study the story of Jesus, nobody wanted him to live. In fact, they wanted to crucify him. He was that mercy, that grace that we needed. He was the Jesus that came as a lowly lamb, and yet he was risen as king of kings and lord of lords. That's a good place for an amen right there. And then I can tell you when the king was resurrected and most holy, he was not only just our propitiation, big word, but it means our substitute, really. If you break it down, there's more meaning than just rich meaning. But you have to understand that whenever he died as a lamb and came back as the king of kings and lord of lords, he came back as a holy judge that didn't just judge sin, but also had grace and mercy to cover sin. Amen? So there's justice when Jesus walks in. Can I preach a little bit on Easter morning? There's justice and there's power and there's authority as Yahweh or Elohim. He had all power and all authority. He had big guns. Everybody say big guns. That's what Jesus did whenever he came to earth. He was the image of the invisible God. No man has seen God and lived, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says he's immutable, invisible, the only wise God. So when you think of God as an old man in the sky, you have the wrong picture in your head. There's no old man in heaven sitting on a crusty old throne, amen? It is actually God who is invisible, immortal, the only wise God who is and was and forever will be. He has no beginning or end. He's Elohim, the self-existent one. And we know that he came as a man in a body. He overshadowed Mary. She conceived, had a son. That body, that Jesus of Nazareth was going to be the perfect sacrifice. God had to make himself a body that could die on our cross. Amen? Because God could never die. It was impossible for God to recover a fallen man and woman from a garden who had taken of the fruit that were forbidden of and actually had caused themselves to begin to die. They brought death and sin into the world. Every curse, every thorn, every disease came with sin. And we understand that if God was going to recover what he loved, he could not love the sin in them and love them. So he had to create a plan. So before man was a plan, before there ever was anything, there was darkness moving to light. It always was God calling us out of darkness into glorious light. We have to know that this was 
the plan from the beginning, and the resurrection power in our life commands everything in our life to get up, to not stay down. You weren't meant to live and in places where you're defeated. You weren't meant to live in places of disease. You weren't meant to live in places of struggle or trial. You weren't meant to stay in places where you are addicted and where you're chained and where you're bound. You were made to have free communion with God. And when he died on that cross as God and man, he bought us back again. The perfect sacrifice from heaven. Amen. History was forever changed by his story. Some tell the truth when they say that their history was changed by his story. I know mine was. I don't know about you. Anybody got a testimony of the risen Savior in your life? How he changed you. He made you new. He brought you from places you didn't deserve to come out of. Anybody ever been there? Anybody want to testify in the room today that God is still good and he reaches to places others cannot reach and his arm is not short and his ear is not deaf? He hears you when you cry to him. He hears you when you reach out to him. And I'm excited to tell you today that the power of resurrection said you don't belong in low places. Your dreams don't belong in unmarked graves somewhere because of shame or doubt. You are called by God. You're his children. And he said when I came off that cross, went into that tomb and came out of that tomb, nothing in your life is now going to lead from, from life to death. I'm going to flip the script. Now I'm going to put my spirit in you. And though the inner, though the outer man perishes day by day, the inner man is going to be renewed. In other words, we used to live from the fall, from life to death. And now because of the power of the Holy Ghost, all rise today, brothers and sisters, all get to get up because he flipped it. And now we live from death to life. Amen. If you only... If you're only born once, you have to die twice. Die the death of the grave and die the eternal death of not of being separated from God. But if you get born twice, you only have to go through the grave. But you don't go alone through the grave. You go through the, sa- the grave the same way he went through the grave. You're coming out the other side. Death is not your destiny. Break and broke is not your destiny. Your destiny is resurrection power. When you look at something that is not right, When you look at something that brings you anxiety, you need to look it in the face and say, because Jesus got up, this must rise. This is not my stopping point. This is not where I get off the the elevator. This is just one floor on my way to glory. Every day is an achievement, brothers and sisters, where we wake up in the morning and his mercies are new and Jesus is empty tune forever heralds every day in our life through the resurrection power that all get to rise. You all get to get up. Whatever it is that has brought you down, whatever it is that you go through, whatever mistakes you even personally make, you can't make a mistake big enough for Jesus not to raise it up. Amen. If it goes into a grave, that means with Jesus Christ, it's going somewhere. It's not death. It's not the loss of a life. It's not the the loss of a marriage. It's not all of these things that everyone gets hung up on. If you have Jesus in your life, you're walking through those things. You're not stopping at those things. You're going through those things. There's another day coming, and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is for 
a brand new day. Because I got up, he said, I'll rise. They set their hearts to dancing. They were so excited. Peter gets up and he runs to the tomb. He's outrun, but, you know, didn't do his cardio, so maybe he needs some more gym time. I don't know. Peter gets to the tomb, and he recognizes the linen cloth laid off to the side. And in Jewish custom, when you sit at a table to eat with people who are Jews, and you want to be done with your meal, you take your cloth, and you bunch it up, and you set it down. But if you fold the cloth and set it off on the side, it communicates to those that are serving in the room that you're not done eating. So whenever Peter looked over and he saw the linen cloth that used to be on Jesus' head, folded and laid it off to the side, it was a message that Jesus had left for Peter in the tomb so that when he ran in going, is this the promise? Is this the resurrection he talked about? He looked over and he saw that linen cloth laid by itself and he said, there's a message. Jesus left me a message that it's going to come to good that this is not the place where it stops it's not in the tomb there's a message left in your dead places there's a message left in your broken places there's a message left in the places of struggle and trial if you just look there's a message of hope that God is not finished with that work yet he's still working on it and if you give him some room he'll make it come to beautiful glory in him all things Though he did not sanction it, he can sanctify it. He can bring it to glory. It's irrefutable. It's inevitable that he can do great works through everything in our life. He proved his preeminence when he came out of the grave. He deserves all glory. Amen? I, I love the symbolism of being on the potter's wheel. I don't know if you remember where that started in Jeremiah, where he starts talking about God's going to speak out of the potter's house. And he's talking about this wheel. And they, you know, have you ever been, done any pottery, anybody? And they have this wheel, and they, it's spinning, and they put the clay on it, and the potter's hands are symbolic of Jesus Christ's hands on our life. He's molding us. He's shaping us. You shouldn't be shaped by anything in your life except for Jesus. Amen? And he's molding and... and, and they push a pedal and make the wheel turn, and they would slowly make, you know, changes. And, and Jeremiah is talking about he saw a potter working, and the clay was marred, but he didn't know it till it got to a, a section of forming the vessel. When it got to a place of forming the vessel. Suddenly, the, the the clay was bad in the vessel, and it marred, and and the 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 potter had to smash it down and start over. Have you ever seen that happen? Where they're, they're going and then all of a sudden it just looks like a dead squirrel on a, <laughs> it's just going in a circle and then they have to smash it down they have to start over again. Have you ever seen that on YouTube? I don't know, wherever you'd see it. But, but that happens because there's imperfections in the clay and the potter is actually working with some of the imperfections to work them out so that he can create a beautiful vessel and that's how he works on us. He gets to places where we have triggers and he gets to places where we have mental uh, things that are going on in our life and he, he he doesn't just crush you but he'll bring you down a little bit so that he can build back around those things and he can create a beautiful vessel out of you even with those things you've been through he can build you into something that's glorious 
Amen. So that's how his hands work. His hands, his hands work on our life. And I think it's so beautiful, that imagery, that, that he can take something that is, is from the earth, our life, that's from places that are low, and he can craft it into something beautiful and glorious. And the scripture talks about whenever Judas betrayed Jesus and he went to the cross, that he received 30 pieces of silver. And when Judas realized that he was condemned, I'm going to link these two together real quick. When Judas realized that he was condemned, he went back to the chief priest. He said, I don't want this money. I, I realize what I've done. I've sold out the Messiah. I don't want this money anymore. You can take it back. And they said, what, what is that to us? That's blood money because of Jesus being sold out. Oh, we knew why he was going to the cross, but Judas sold him out. And so Judas said, I don't want it. And he left it there. And when the priests, when the priests were asked, well, what do we, what do, we do with this money that, that Jesus was sold for? They said, go take it and buy the potter's field. Anybody ever heard of a potter's field? Do you know what that is? It's actually in, in Jewish times, the potter, when he was making uh, certain uh, vessels and stuff, he would, he would make them and he would set them out and they would sometimes crack or they, they would sometimes get broken and they wouldn't, they wouldn't cure right. And so instead of actually taking it and running water over it and slowly working on it, it would take so much time to rebuild the broken vessel that he would just take it and he would throw it out the back door and cast it into what's called the potter's field. And there was a field around the potter's potter's house in the back and you knew not to walk in that field because there's all kinds of shards and broken pieces of pottery that would take too much time to recover it would take too long for the potter to build again so he would start again with fresh clay but what we don't realize and what is beautiful is the blood that put the blood money that put Jesus on that cross they bought a potter's field with it in other words what Jesus was saying and symbolism through his scripture is that everything that has been cast out, everything that is broken, every vessel that has said, you're too much work, it's too hard, it's not going to come to good, we'll just throw you out and start over. I don't care who's ever given you that message in life, I don't care who's ever rejected you and said, you're too much damaged good, I want you to know that you're not damaged goods. God wants you he bought you with the blood money of his cross so that he could go through resurrection and save your life. It's interesting, a preacher told me that if you go out to any potter's field and you take broken shards of basically pottery, that vessel can be reworked and made completely new again over time if it's just allowed to sit in the water if you're allowed to just sit in the washing of the word of God, God can make you all over again. I am a little emotional because I am a vessel that was taken but cast out, never given a hope, never looked at as someone that should be a pastor. But God took me and he put me in his word and he began to wash me over and over again until I hid his word in my heart that I might not sin against God and his resurrection power started working on my life and he bought everything that was broken in me so that then everything that was broken could rise in his presence. You see, it's not just that we all collectively get to rise because of the power of the salvation and power of the Holy Ghost of God, but it's that everything in you 
gets to rise again. That everything in you gets touched by resurrection power. And you get a fresh start every day. I know that when I was in a kid playing drums at the little church in Alaska, it was in the 80s, and they used to have a statement that I don't really like, but they used to say, we don't get any clean sinners anymore. <laughs> in the 80s, it's like everybody's coming broken. And then we went through the nasty 90s, and then we went through the 2000s. And folks, all we have left is people showing up in a lifeboat. Literally, there's people that have so many hidden cracks in their vessel that they need the power of God's word speaking to them every single Sunday, every single life group, every chance you can get into this word, you should get into it because it's honing you, it's fixing you, it's putting you back on the potter's wheel and it's letting God's hands shape you into something amazing. You can be the harshest, cruelest, most curmudgeon individual And you can come to God and become the kindest, sweetest, gentlest person of God. I get to see people in nursing homes at times, and there are some that sit there, and they're the sweetest people. And if you dig very far, you find out they have a walk with God, and they always have. But there are others that just sit and just they're just angry. They're just angry at life and all that happened to them. And you find out they never had a place. They never had an empty tomb experience. They never had an opportunity to take all of that stuff to a cross with Jesus and leave it there. And that's what I'm preaching about today is that there is a hope for every person I don't care if they come in a lifeboat. I don't care if they come on a raft. I don't care if they doggy paddle their way into the church and get on the ship of Zion. I don't care. As long as we leave the light on in the church so that they can find their way to safety, no matter how they get here. Yes, brothers and sisters, it is important that we don't judge them on the way in because God is interested in doing a resurrection work in everything in their life. I don't care who you are or where you come from. Hear me carefully. There's going to be some people that show up with all kinds of troubles and problems, and we better not turn up our nose and tuck our Bible and say, you're not welcome here. We better be the people of God when they show up. We better be the Jesus that they see when they show up. We better wrap our arms around them and love them into the kingdom. Amen. One of the greatest stories, one of the most tragic stories is, of course, the story of the Titanic. And I I, I find it interesting that the Lord had me put this in an Easter sermon you know, as a pastor, you debate what should and what shouldn't go, what gets cut to the floor and what stays. And, and I was praying in the middle of the night the other night, and the Lord just hit me like a freight train. And I was remembering all the stories on the Titanic of people that did things and stayed whenever they could have got on a lifeboat. And I want you to know while that is a story of a ship that's sinking, the church is not a story of a Zion ship that's sinking. We're headed somewhere. It's a symbolism, yes, but I want you to hear me when I say it is very important that we understand we are the people that leave the light on. 
We are the people that leave the light burning in the church. It's burning in us. We are the church. I get that. But we need to have the power and the strength to stand up and say, I may not need this today, but somebody needs to hear this. I may not be the one that needs this specific sermon, but I'm just going to go ahead and archive it and share it with somebody anyways because somebody may be in a lifeboat and be surviving right now. And they need a church that's powerful and lit for them to find. I find out of all those stories that not a single engineer made it off the Titanic when it was going down. I I was like perplexed by that because of all the people that know how to get off the boat, the engineer should. Of all the people that know where to run to jump or where to get to the lifeboats, the engineers do. The Titanic, of course, sank in 1912. But the interesting reason for them staying behind was the reason why I put it in this sermon. Was because they believed that they needed to stay behind to keep as much of the boat lit on its way down to save the survivors in the lifeboat. They believed that if they stayed behind and kept the electricity on so that others could escape safely, they would help more people survive. I wonder if today, while we celebrate resurrection, we can also understand that he went through darkness to light. And as the world is coming out of darkness, they need someone who still stays on the ship of Zion, the boat, and says, I'm going to make it loud. I'm going to make it proud. I'm going to make there be the greatest thing. I'm going to tell people that there's still a light for their dark life. I'm going to tell people that there is a way out, that they can rise again, that they can get up, that there is light and there's hope and there's joy. I'm not going to look at the dark world and say, look at where things are going. I'm going to look at the bright destination of heaven and a risen Savior. And I'm going to say, we have life and we have light in him. There's still hope. Still hope. Still hope. Even in the deepest, darkest places, there's hope. I'm trying to wrap it down as quick as possible. It's funny I tell this story sometimes, and I want to tell it again. It's called The Legend of the Canyons. And it seemed the master was walking one day, and he was enjoying the seeds of the flowers that he'd planted, the flowers that he loved the best, and they were scattered all throughout the valleys and the plains. But when he first created, the master did not create places where there was shade and places where there was a chance for the the flower to grow without the punishing sun. So as he was watch, walking the, the plains and the valleys, one day he noticed there were no flowers because in the valley they sprung up and because of the punishing heat they soon perished. So the master took a lightning bolt and he carved out in the earth great canyons and he cut into the earth great gouges and, and jagged rock places and created places where there was shadow and the sun didn't burn out the beautiful flowers. And then he called for the, the seeds of the, for the birds and he planted again the seeds of the flowers that he loved the best. And when he did that, he sent them all throughout the earth and even to 
to this day in the deepest and most ugly places in the earth, the wounds, the scars, the canyons, you'll still find that the most fragrant flowers grow in those places, those once ugly wounds, those places that were dark, those places that were, were maybe even disgusting to us at one point. They are places where the master can come and sow the seeds of the flowers that he loves the best. And we can stoop down and not smell the stench of bitterness or the hatred of life when we get old, but we will be able to take in the beautiful fragrance of what God has done all throughout our life as he sows into our wounds and our pains the seeds of the beautiful things he loves the best. And as you think back on the wounds and the tragedies of your life, remember that those are places where beautiful things are buried and by the power of resurrection everything planted will rise in your life everything that you thought was horrible and and what not worth giving time to god will plant something there and if you just let him water it with his word and if you just let him give it time and patience you will find that what you used to think was the worst moment the darkest day the deepest canyon of your life is a place where the most beautiful things grow and the most powerful talents of your life and the greatest empathy for other souls comes from. The most fragrant things in your life come from the most and greatest failures sometimes. And that is what darkness to light means. It means taking everything that's low and saying, you get to rise. Even if it's still jagged rock, even if it's still a place where the sun doesn't hit, the flowers grow best there in the deep parts of your soul where Jesus can only reach and where beautiful things come from. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to go back and rehearse the pain. You don't have to say, I forgave him and I just kept forgiving and kept forgiving. You don't even have to mention it. All you gotta do is just sit down and say, thank you, Jesus, for a resurrection in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for not leaving me in my low places. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing me out because I know that everything in my life gets to be touched by resurrection power. It all gets to rise. Would you rise with me today as we finish this Sunday, this Easter Sunday? I'm thankful for the power of the blood. How many enjoyed that song? The world looks at darkness the church looks to the light. Amen? Sometimes I just shut off the news, not because I don't know what's going on, but because I'm done feeding on the darkness of the days. I want to feed on the light of his word. Sometimes I take out distractions. I'm not saying you got to stop scrolling, but I wonder if maybe we just pushed a few apps to a folder way on the back of our phone and started getting into the word of God. Amen. I wonder if maybe we would just remind ourselves that he bought everything broken. Even if you still feel broken, he bought you. He purchased you with his precious blood, and he has the right to tell you you're coming out of that. I bought all of it that was broken so I could fix all all of it. Amen. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to read this book. I encourage you to take time looking at the cross and seeing what all God did for you. He bought all of us. We just have to surrender to him and his work starts there. When we put our faith in God, 
when we change our life and we turn away from our sin and we walk through repentance and water baptism and we see God do great things by the power of his spirit and you see the gifts of the Holy Ghost begin to operate in the church, you know that he took something broken and he's using it for eternal glory. Amen. When you begin to pray prayers and you know that heaven hears you, when you start to need something, just like I did two Thursdays ago, and God heals it, you know there's power still in the blood. You know there's power still in the cross. You know there's power still in resurrection. If he bought all things broken, then in rising again, he rises all things. He lifts us up. Bow your heads with me, Jesus. Maybe there's someone in the room today that thought the dark places of their life just need to be covered and forgotten. But you recover all those broken pieces and you blend them back into their new vessel. You work on it day and night while we're sleeping in the morning, in the evening, while we're at work. When we start in the morning and we're so busy, we barely look up till evening. You never sleep or slumber, Jesus. As I pray over this congregation, you're working. Even now on someone's heart, turn us towards you, Jesus. Because you said that these signs would follow them that believe. You said that there's going to be great things happen. Miracle signs and wonders, Jesus. I'm so thankful that I still know you're a miracle maker. I'm so thankful that I know that you have power over everything in my life. I'm so thankful that I can't take myself out of your hand, Jesus, for you are working on me every day. Even when my mind's not engaged, I'm not out of your hands. You're still working. Even when I'm not seeing it, you're still working behind the scenes. I make you my invisible miracle maker today. And in you I know if it doesn't look good, <laughs> you're not finished with it yet. So we ask in the name of Jesus that you bind every fear in this room, that you release every anxiety, that you release every addiction in the name of Jesus Christ. By the authority and power of the Holy Ghost, I pray this prayer. That you, through resurrection glory, would step in and break chains and release people today. On this Easter Sunday, change someone's life, I pray. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. I'm going to open this altar. We do this before we go to doing an Easter egg hunt. We want to take a time with the Lord. If you want coffee or you're not used to that, that's fine. You can fellowship. But would you respond in a way that says, whatever needs to move toward light, I accept it. I lay down anything that's dark. Maybe you want to come and make a new devotion to the Lord, a dedication. Maybe you want to say, Jesus, take my life and use me, Lord. This altar's open. Would you come and pray? Would you take a moment with Jesus? In Jesus' name. I look to you. I see the scars upon your hands and hold the truth. That when I can't, you always can. And standing here, 
you 